0: We pray, Heavenly Father, as we look at Your Word now, we pray that You would speak to us, teach us, help us, Lord, to take truths from this to apply to our lives. Lord, we pray for Your help for the children too as they learn about Your coming into this world to be our Savior and help their teachers there. Lord, be with us now. We pray in Your precious name. Amen. 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 Raise us up. Knock on the uh, stand there. Well. The title of this uh, first message is, When the Set Time Had Fully Come. I'm going to refer you to Galatians chapter 4, but keep your place in Luke chapter 2. That's if you have your place there. Um, But Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. And we're going to kind of have this as our anchor uh, for our studies over these next uh, few weeks. So Galatians uh, chapter 4 and beginning at uh, verse 4. When the, oh, By the way, I'm reading from the, the Christian Standard Bible, but uh, it should be very similar to whatever version you have. When the time came to completion, or when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So we're going to use these verses as an anchor as we go through these studies. And uh, particularly we're looking at verse 4 this morning, when the time came to completion, or when the time, the set time, had fully come. Hence the title of the message this morning. It was the right time when Jesus was born. It was the right time. Now, it was the time of completion. It was the time that God had set for when his son was to be born into the world. And because it was part of a plan, part of a set time, it gives us that picture of God who is, a God who is in charge of time and a God who is organizing things according to this great plan. It wasn't a random time, it was a set time. It was a time of completion. In other words, there was something being worked out that came to completion when Jesus was born into this world. Now, when did it happen in human history? Well, in human history, as Luke chapter two tells us, it was when the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus was on the throne and the governor of Syria at the time was Quirinius. So that's when it was in human history. And as you well know, There was a census of the Roman world, the entire Roman world. And that census drew back people to the the principal cities of their ancestral tribes, to the principal cities of their ancestral tribes. So it drew a carpenter from Nazareth who, following the orders of the emperor, was drawn back to the city of King David because he was of the tribe of of that tribe and he needs to be registered there in that principal city of his tribe, the tribe of Judah. And he takes with him a lady. And this lady is called Mary, and I'm sure you're very familiar with her. And she's his betrothed wife. Now in those days if you were betrothed to someone it was as good as being married, but not quite married. And and we know that the Bible says that Mary and Joseph didn't have sexual relationships until after Jesus was born. So Mary was his betrothed wife. So it wasn't quite fully married in the total sense but technically in a certain legal sense they were basically there and they were expecting their first child and of course back in Nazareth there were probably people who were wondering, well there's still some dodgy going on here because Mary's pregnant and they've gone away and it seems in circumstances that were very difficult to explain and no doubt there were goss- gossip going in the village, you can imagine what would be being said. So in some sense, I imagine that Joseph taking Mary away to Bethlehem was quite a relief to get away from any of the gossips in the village of Nazareth. But this was all above board, this is all God's miracle, miraculous, the miraculous conception of Jesus in Mary so that a child who would be truly human but also truly God would be born. So it says back in Luke chapter 2 verse 1, in those days Caesar Augusta issued this decree uh, and then jump down to verse uh, 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child and while they were there the time came for the baby to be born. I'm looking forward to the well, we thank God for the, the time has come for Ezra to be born. Uh, we're looking forward to the, the day when Abigail and Emmanuel's uh, child will be born. And uh, it's great to have a little baby in the room with us who also came at the time uh, that he was born. So there's a time, isn't there? T- special times when little ones are born. But this was very special, of course, to Mary and Joseph because they were, they were the mom and the adopted father of, of Joseph. But also because this was part of God's great plan. God's wonderful plan. This was a time of completion. God was working out history to this point. So God organized things to to this point. Now, from the perspective of Caesar Augustus, he was in charge. He was the emperor of the Roman world, the vast empire, the vast Roman world. From the perspective of the the millions of Roman citizens and uh, non-citizens in the Roman empire, they were just following orders. They had to go. They had no choice. The emperor and the soldiers were in charge, so they had to go. From another perspective, from the perspective of history, there are um, some ideas why this was the right time for God to do this. For example, there's something called the, the Roman Pax or the Roman Peace. So, although the Romans weren't very nice people, at least they were organized and at least there was order in society. And there was a large empire with good roads, generally good roads, relatively safe roads, safe travel. Fairly quick travel because of the the way the Romans built their roads, straight and and well-made. There was a common language. There was a Greek language language which was common to the Roman Empire. Uh, That obviously came from the time of Alexander the Great. And so from an historical perspective, it was the right time because of these factors. It was ripe, if you like, ready for a new message to to be born and to spread throughout the world. Warren Wiersbe, the the writer and and pastor, uh, wrote this. Augustus Caesar was ruling but God was in charge for he used Caesar's edict to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. Rome took a census every 14 years for both military and tax purposes and each Jewish male had to return to the city of his fathers to record his name, occupation, property and family. So it was the right time for a number of reasons and it was God's set time. Let's think about that. It was God's set time. When the set time had fully come, Galatians 4, 4 says, God sent his son. When the set time had fully come. So we can see from the Bible that, that God has a big plan. God has a great plan. And this event of Jesus coming to the world was a completion of this, this phase of the plan, a time of completion according to a set time. We can also see how As we look through the Bible, as we look through history, we can see how God's amazing plan touches the lives of nations. We can see how it touches the lives of families. We can see how it touches the lives of individuals and down to the details of life, down to even the small details of life. So when we read the Bible, we get the the clear impression that, that God is in charge, that God supervises history, that it's his story, that everything is under God's supervision to achieve God's great plan, and we see that even with the death of Jesus. So, for example, in Acts chapter 4 uh, and verse 23, it talks there about how God, God's planning was worked out even when Jesus was wickedly taken by cruel people to be killed. So, Acts chapter 4 and verse uh, 23. After they were released, that's the apostles who had been put in prison for a time. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact in this city both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. So we see there a picture of human people making choices, wicked choices. But God was supervising and working out his plans and purposes, even in the death of Jesus. So God is in charge, even supervising what these people did to our saviour Jesus. How can we get head around that? We can't, can we? That, That God can do that, but that's what the Bible presents to us. But we also see from the Bible that God exercises his master plan and his sovereignty in such a way that people are still responsible for their own actions and choices. So God exercises his sovereignty in working out his plans and purposes in history in a way which does not make you and I into robots kind of following blindly. We still make our own choices. We still make our own decisions, good or bad. Caesar made his choice, didn't he? He wasn't listening to God, but he made his choice. He made his own choice. Millions had to follow. They, probably didn't, they obviously didn't have a, a, a choice. But the ancestors of Joseph and Mary, they lived their lives. They made their own choices. The family going back to Abraham and beyond, people made their choices, good and bad, all through history. But God was weaving his plans and purposes through history to lead to this point of completion, to the set time, when his son would be born into the world. And for me, there's a great encouragement, and I hope it is an encouragement to you, that in the face of suffering, In the face of sadness, in the face of sin and evil, in the face of uncertainty, political, military, all the things that are going on in our world today. That God has a a plan. God has a plan for this world. God has a plan for nations. God has a plan for your life and for my life. And we need to hold on to that at this time. You see, God is unfolding his plan to to bring light into the darkness, into this darkened world. God is working out his plan to, to bring a light that the darkness cannot overpower presidents, prime ministers, dictators think they rule the world. Big corporations think they rule the world. The billionaires and the trillionaires of this world, but we know better from what God says. He's in charge. And I I don't know about you, but we're probably all suffering psychologically at this point, aren't we, when we who are a new variant of COVID coming and, and, and the media is presenting to us that the, the worst case scenarios seems to be all the time pumping into us and there are things to be concerned about, there are things to be wary of and we do need to take care. But we live in such a, an atmosphere, don't we, where it's all doom and gloom. What's going to happen? Is the world going to, to burn up? Is the world going to overheat and all going to burn up? Is the, the, the world going to fall into war? What's going to happen in the border between Russia and the Ukraine? What's going to happen if the new variants have come out? What's going to happen if the vaccines struggle to keep up and help to keep us safe? And a lot of uncertainties and uncertainties in our family lives, our personal lives, choices and fears that we're experiencing. But It's encouraging to know that God is in charge. That he's in charge of history. We can trust in him. Your life, individual life, may feel in such an impossible mess of uncertainty at this point. Maybe because of mistakes you've made, faults. Maybe because of suffering of pain or illness, disease. Maybe just confusion about choices you've got to make. But it's good to know that God has a plan. He has a plan not just for nations, not just for the world, but a plan for individual people. Look at Acts chapter 2 and you see a whole list of verses on there. Please don't feel free uh, that you feel that you have to look them all up. Uh, and I won't necessarily read all of them out. But um, i just like to read at least some of them to you to encourage you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 10. This talks about the way that God saves us from our sins, puts us right with himself, and also the way that he gives us a purpose for our individual lives. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is, the, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, for us to do. God prepared good works for us to do. So when we believe in Jesus, in other words, we find that we are saved by the work of Jesus. We, we can't save ourselves. It's not by our works that we're saved. But when we believe in Jesus and find that we're saved by his works, his death on the cross, his sacrifice on our behalf, we find that we have a mission to fulfill. We have a purpose. We have a plan that God has prepared for us before, before time. Before creation itself, God knew you and loved you and has a plan for your life. Whatever mistakes you've made, whatever mess or hash you've made up to this point, you can turn to Christ and know that he will save you, forgive you, and give you a purpose and a mission to fulfill. Now, there are many prophecies. Um, and say so i 'm not going to necessarily read read all, all the out here, but here's another encouragement to think, as we look through history, as we look to this point, this completion point when Jesus came to the world, it was a fulfillment of predictions and promises that God had made throughout history. It just serves to emphasize that God is the Lord of history, back in the Garden of Eden, just after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and, and brought sin and its horrors into this world, God promises that there would be a child, a seed a Descendant or born to a woman who would crush the serpent's head, would crush the Satan's head, the tempter. So there's a prediction even back then that there will be a reversal of what sin has brought into this world through a child of, a, of the woman. About 2000 BC, God speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 and he speaks about the fact that he's going to, from Abraham, bring a new nation from Abraham's descendants. And God promises there, that uh, as Abraham uh, goes from his his original home and and goes where God's going to show him, in verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then drop to verse seven, the Lord again appears to Abraham, he's not got his full name, Abraham yet, Uh, And he says to him, To your offspring I will give this land. To your offspring I will give this land. Now, later on, the Apostle Paul, who for many years was a, a Jewish scholar, he sees this passage in Genesis and he sees there a prediction of Jesus coming into the world in this promise to Abraham, 2000 BC. And it says in Galatians 3, verse 15, that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. The scripture does not say, and to seeds meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Jesus is a fulfillment of promises made 2000 BC, and I say there are lots of others. There's a prediction where Jesus, Messiah, would be born in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Bethlehem. And that came true. And then we have a very rich prophecy in Isaiah, written about 600 odd years, nearly seven centuries before Jesus was born. And this gives us detail de- details as to the nature of the Messiah, who that he would be man, that he would be also God, that he would be in the family line of King David. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to probably hear this a number of times over the Christmas period. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Prediction of Jesus, 600 plus years before he was born. So all these, and there are lots of others we could have looked at, but these serve to show how God had a plan from the beginning, and that plan was to send Jesus. And that the coming of Jesus was a time of completion of that plan to bring his son into the world. And it was through a particular nation, descended from Abraham through a specific family line, the family line of King David and it was to be in a certain place at a preordained time and it was going to be the birth of the eternal king, the king of justice and righteousness and salvation. Now when it comes to time, sometimes we ask the question, why has it taken so long? Do you ever ask that question? Sometimes we're in the middle of having flu or something like that and it feels like it's going on forever, sometimes it's how long are we going to be in this? It feels like it's forever. You feel like it's going to go on. But usually we do recover from those illnesses. But sometimes we're in situations in our lives and it feels as if it's going on forever. Why is it taking so long? Why why was it 2,000 years before the promise to Abraham came true when Jesus was born? Think of all that's gone on in the world over those 2,000 years. Why has it been 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again? Think of all that's gone on, the wars and the suffering and the struggle in our world. Now, we can't fully answer that question, can we? Because God hasn't said why he set the times as, as he does. But we can be encouraged because the God who so loved us and sent his son to save us, well, he d- must have done it for a good reason then. If God loves you so much that he would be willing to send his son, then we can trust his timings. We can trust his scale. And when you're going through an individual crisis and it seems so long, you can trust God that he's got his timings, he's got his plans, his purposes. God did it in that time scale for a good reason. It was a set time of the God with sacrificial love. Now, for some, the, the way into my next point is maybe a controversial subject, but one of the several reasons, and I say there are several reasons, I won't go into them now, one of the several reasons why I don't believe that the world is millions and millions of years old and I don't believe that humans have kind of been evolving for hundreds of thousands of years. One of the reasons is because of if like an aesthetic logic reason. Or maybe a, a theological aesthetic logic reason. We see in the Bible that the good God grieves while a world suffers the effects of sin and disease and death. And the Bible says that we brought this on ourselves. It was through sin that death came into the world. Sin and suffering uh, uh, go together. Sin and death go together. Disease go with sin. Our world is spoiled because mankind rebelled against God. Romans chapter five verse 12 uh, tells, us, tells us that. So we brought it on ourselves because this is what happens when we go against God's law. God's law of love in creation. We've broken that law of love and it's ruined our lives and it's ruined the planet, it's ruined creation. God has not, I believe, God has not been using disease, mutations mutations, and death for millions of years. God has not used them because God created the world good. This has been spoiled because of sin, as a result of sin. And I would say in a relatively short human history, God has been speaking to us. And God rescues those who turn to him. We have a God who, who grieved over the, the state of the world that came to being at the time of, of Noah. And we see how, God grieves over the sin and suffering in our world. God is a compassionate God. And God has been speaking to this world's history. I believe a relatively short history. And he rescues those who turn to him in faith. People like Abraham in the Old Testament looking forward in faith to God's promises. And us looking back in history to what Jesus did on the cross for us. God, the good God, who grieves over the sin of this world. He sent his son to pay for our sins. And his son, don't forget, he suffered. He suffered the abuse, the rejection, the hatred, the spitting and the scourging and the pain, the nails, the thorns and the rejection by his people. Not even just on the cross but through his life, the rejection. Jesus lived in a a sin polluted world as he grew up. There were people around him blaspheming God, even his own person because he of course was God amongst us. And, and, And so we have a compassionate God who came to save us, Jesus And it was all according to God's plan and purpose at his set time and and there's another time set as well we see in the Bible a time set where Jesus will return to usher in a final judgment and then a new creation and things will be restored to how it was and then some and uh, in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 to 5 we see a lovely picture there of the the world restored as it will be it'll be restored to Eden as I say but then something plus as well and uh, I uh, won't read all, all the verses here but it talks about things being made new that, that God will be with us in verse uh, uh says that, that he will wipe away verse 4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes death will be no more grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away then the one seated on the throne said look I'm making everything new there's an appointed time when Jesus will return and these things will be ushered in so thinking about it, God is the true time Lord. God is the true time Lord. He sets the times in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 to 31. It says, the time has been set for Jesus to return and to bring judgment upon this world and the restoration of all things. God has set the time, Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. And also, if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter four, verse six, we can see that God has set the time for our personal histories as well. And the context to these verses is this, that the apostle Paul is expecting to die. He's, he's imprisoned. Uh, we know that he was beheaded uh, by the Roman emperor uh, of the day. And he's, he, he knows his time is short. And in 2 Timothy chapter four, verse six to eight, he's speaking to a younger pastor and he says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. The time for my departure is close. So Paul is aware that he's in God's hands, even the time of his departure from this world. And Paul, the apostle, suffered a lot in his lifetime uh, in his service as a missionary, a Christian missionary. He also Tasted joy on the journey as well. He's one of the most happy men, if you read his letters, despite the, the struggles that he had and the suffering he endured in his missionary work. He's enjoyed the sweetness of his relationship with God. I want to know Christ. I want to know him better, he says in Philippians chapter 3. He's experienced a great sense of purpose and fulfillment. He says, I've finished the race. I've, I've run the course. I, I've, I've been serving God all these years. He has no regrets as he comes to face his death at the hands of the Roman emperor. And whatever he has had to endure, he knows that to depart this world is gain because it will be with Christ forever. And so we need to also, when we think of time, when we think of suffering in the present, when we think of the difficulties that we're going through, when we think of how long, Lord, have I got to endure this? How long will this world carry on like it is? We need to have an eternal perspective on these things. And that whatever life throws at us, if if we have faith in Christ, However much we suffer for a time, whether it be 10, 20, 30, or even 60, 70 years, let's be honest, some people do suffer ill health for a long, long time. But we will have eternity, eternity to enjoy God. And that is the perspective that we need to keep. The world is not as it was meant to be. It's been spoiled by sin. Jesus came so that we can be forgiven, can be saved, can be rescued from this sin-spoiled world, can know God now. We can make a difference now. We can be a blessing to others around us who are fellow sufferers now. And then one day, when the time is ready, we're going to be called home. We'll go, we're going home. Psalm 31 verse 14 says, You are my God. The course of my life is in your power. or my times are in your hands. So we have the God of time, the God of world history, and the God of our personal history. And then more briefly, a lot more briefly, the final third point. Let's think about your time. Your time. Now we still don't understand, do we, God's mastery over time and how human responsibility all interacts. We can't work it out. I can't work it out. remember once um, uh, a pastor at a conference in Leicester years ago gave me an illustration that I haven't found better since. Now imagine this piece of paper. And on this piece of paper we've got an ant. Okay, So we've got an ant on this piece of paper and the ant is wandering around on this piece of paper going wherever the ant wants. So the, the ant has got freedom to go wherever it likes. It can go on this piece of paper wherever it wants to and it's living its life. And uh, I suppose we could be kind and put some food out for it. But uh, On this piece of paper there's the ant crawling around and you as a human being can take that piece of paper and you can keep turning it. moving in all sorts of directions. You can take it across the room. You can bring it back. You can turn it round and round and round and that ant is totally free but you're in charge of the where the ant goes. You can take the ant in places where it's not of making a conscious choice but you can be in, you can be in charge of that ant even though the ant itself is free now i, get, I know it's only an illustration and there's no perfect illustration that's a picture of god's sovereignty if you like now how it all works out well i, I can't can't work it out but god is god and therefore that's uh, an obvious thing god is going to be greater than our minds Just like an ant could not understand us moving the piece of paper around to fulfill uh, the purposes that we might have. And to me, and I hope to all of us this morning, the mystery of suffering, in the middle of it, in the midst of the unknowns of life, there is the encouragement of a God who sets the right time. Jesus came at the right time, at the set time. He came to save us. He came at the right time to intervene in world history. When the Roman Empire was at its height, he came at the right time to intervene in our individual lives. If we're a Christian here this morning, we can testify that God stepped into our lives. God intervened in our lives at a certain point, And it was the right time. And God knows the right time to say to you, enough is enough. You've lived your life for me down here. You're coming home with me now. It's time to go home. God's got all the times sorted out. God is the master of time, he's the true time Lord. But you know, he also gives us responsibility. He gives us responsibility to make use of our time. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 and 16, it talks there about making the most of our time because the days are evil. So Ephesians and chapter five and verse 15 says there, pay careful attention then to how you live not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So God clearly gives us responsibility with time. We're to make the most of it. We're to take the opportunities that we have and to use them wisely. So God gives us responsibility with time. We have our time, in a sense, and we're responsible for it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it tells us there that we need to seize a certain time. We need to grasp a certain time, and we need to, in that time, grasp the opportunity that we have to believe in Jesus, to be saved, to become a Christian. And what is that time? That time is today. That time is now. Now is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Why does it say that? It's an obvious thing in a way, but in a sense it's very, very, very profound. Because we don't have a guarantee of tomorrow, do we? Every time you hear the gospel, every time you hear the good news about Jesus, you have that now. You have the opportunity to respond will you have tomorrow I don't know I don't know whether I will have a tomorrow when I had my stroke uh, five six years ago now uh, it could have been my time couldn't it I, d- I didn't know the day before I-, I went to sleep feeling okay a little bit, a little bit headache and a bit feeling a bit strange I woke up and uh, and then other symptoms got checked out I'd had a stroke that could have been my time I didn't know but other people have gone to bed or got up in the morning, and it's been their last day, and they didn't expect it. What we do have is now. What we do now have is this opportunity. Today is a day of salvation. So if you're not yet a Christian, I encourage you, I heartly encourage you, I appeal to you, I urge you, seize the day, because the time is limited. Jesus is a Savior who offers his rescue to, to you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened by sin, and I'll give you rest, I'll give you peace. He says that he will forgive us and bring us into a right relationship with God that will last forever. And we can have that certainty of a home in heaven instead of hell, which is what we deserve. So if you're not yet a Christian, seize the day, make the most of the opportunity. Come and chat with me afterwards, ask me any questions, please, or others that you know here. If you are a Christian, maybe God has been speaking to you and maybe you've been putting it off, and today God is speaking to you again. And God is saying what you know he's saying to you, whatever that is. God is speaking and you have an opportunity to do something about it. Seize the day. Make most of the time. Take the opportunity. Start on that road to recovery. Start on that road to restoration. Start on that road to repentance and a restoration of your full walk with God. Don't leave it. You have responsibility for your time. Take the opportunity. And of course Christmas is a reminder that God is the true time lord because it was all according to plan. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to rescue at such a cost. So, God has been fulfilling his promises, God has been working through history past, and we can be encouraged that God will continue to fulfill his promises into history future. Let's put our confidence in him as we go forward. It is a scary time, isn't it, in many ways. Psychologically, we've been battered over these last couple of years. Let's remind ourselves that he is in charge. And again, with all these uncertainties and fears in our world, it's comforting to know personally that God is in charge, that he is the Lord of time. And we have the the assurance, I was going to say the insurance, uh, but we have the assurance that the world will not crash out of control because Jesus is is in charge of the end of the world. Jesus is in charge of the end of this world. He will return and he will bring judgment. It won't be mankind that brings judgment. It'll be Jesus. He's in charge. And that's also an encouragement to us from another angle, because when we look at the things that people do in our world and seem to get away with it, Jesus is in charge of judgment. There's an appointed time. But of course, we need to make sure that we're right with God, because we're sinners, maybe from different circumstances, but we're all sinners who need to be saved. So we need to make sure in our own time, you know when people say, in your own time, and... uh, well, you have some time, you have responsibility of your own time. And with your, in your own time, and now I would suggest, make sure that you're right with God before that set time for judgment, before your personal history is brought to its appointed end. And God in his love for us warns us to seize the time. It's because he loves us that we have these warning Bible verses. He, he wants us to respond to the gospel before it is too late. Today, he promises you. Today, believe and be saved. Do we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for every breath you give us, every moment. We thank you for time. Time, Lord, to find you, time, Lord, to trust in you, to be saved. Time to serve you. Time to follow Jesus, our wonderful and lovely Savior. Time to get to know you better. Time to make a difference in our world. Time to share the gospel with others, to tell the good news about Jesus. Time to show love and truth to others, to care, to help those who are struggling, to help others on their journey. Time to make to be useful. Time, Lord, one day to go home to be with you for eternity. Lord, help us to make the most of our time right now. And we thank you that you are the Lord of time. Help us, Lord, to have confidence and courage in these difficult days. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.